All right, we are recording. This is Peter syncing with himself. One, two, three. One, two, three. Hi, welcome to Car Bomb Podcast, episode 382. I'm Peter W. Dawson. Uh, guys, somebody else is supposed to say something? Guys? People? Uh, guys, gals, non-binary pals? Uh, I think I might be alone this week. Ah, shit. Uh, stock audio of Emily, hopefully. Chris edits that in. Theme song. Three, two, one, zero! Well, uh, hopefully that was a good theme song, and uh, that all played out well. Uh, yes, I am indeed Peter W. Dawson. Everyone else is sick, and I'm still not doing 100%, so this is going to be real interesting. I may have to stop at points and have Chris edit out me drinking water. This will be fun. Uh, but it is what it is. Uh, so I'm going to carry on and talk about various topics, because <laughs> it's actually been a very interesting just news day in general. And plus there was a topic Emily was very passionate about, uh, so we, I'll be sure to dive into that later, because I was somewhat interested as well. Not somewhat, I mean, I was very interested as well. So let's start off with her topic, just so she can hear this right away, and then uh, criticize me later for anything I forgot to include. Let's talk about Striketober. So currently, there are a hell of a lot of strikes going on, uh, across the United States in particular. I believe Emily gave me a list with, which includes a fair bit of them. Uh, most notably, we talked about Yahtzee potentially going on strike, and about three days before this recording, this is recorded on a Wednesday to come out on a Friday, uh, the strike was actually avoided. But there was a 98 or something like 89 or 98% approval to strike until that last-minute deal came through. So uh came down on the edge of the wire there. And uh, probably the most infamous strike going on right now is the John Deere... Uh, manufacturing workers. So John Deere, I believe they do like f heavy equipment, farming equipment. I actually probably should have looked up exactly what they make because they like they have like tractors and stuff too. I think, yeah, agricultural machinery. So tractors, you know, I'm close. Forest machinery, <clears throat> drive trains, lawn care. Again, tractors, uh, lawn mowers. Um, yeah, just general agricultural machines. Big, manly machines, and of course. By having all their workers now go on strike, they're, they're recruited non-unionized uh, workers as well as um, white-collar management people to handle the larger equipment. And they didn't make it to 8 a.m. on the first day of the strike without a 911 call due to people not knowing what the hell they're doing. So it just goes to show that no matter how important or unimportant you consider a job, having somebody train in that job is still very important. I mean, I work at a hotel where our general manager is very good at filling in for housekeeping, and, you know, he, he's fairly competent at doing the front desk. He's done breakfast. He's done pretty much everything. Like, the main thing he hasn't done is, like, a full-time, is, like, a maintenance thing, and even then he knows how to fix stuff around the hotel. But, I mean, I got asked if I wanted to help do housekeeping one day because five people had called in sick. You know, this wasn't a labor shortage. This was just, oh, no, a bunch of people called in sick the same day, and we have a lot of turnover. And I flat out told them, I don't know how much I can do. I'm not really trained in this. Uh, so I ended up just picking up trash because, you know, that was something, okay, I understand this is garbage. It goes in a bag. You know, but, I mean, the elaborate skill required to fold sheets a certain way, make everything look nice, uh, it's just not me. I mean... If you've seen any of the uh, live Extra Life uh, footage, you've probably seen how shabbily I wear my shirts and my ties. Maybe we'll hear more about that a little later. But some of the other people currently on strike, uh, that was 10,000 John Deere workers, roughly. We've got uh, 2,000 Mercy Hospital workers in the city of Buffalo. Uh, 2,000 Washington Carpenters, uh, which for all I know could be a sports team, but I'm going to choose to assume they actually mean like people who build things, probably mostly with wood. Pretty sure that's what a carpenter is. We've got 2,000 California telecom workers. Uh, 1,200 spectrum workers. 
which has been apparently ongoing since 2017. I'm not super familiar with who Spectrum is. I may look that up as I keep going here. Uh, one of my favorites, though, is the Kellogg's workers apparently on strike. Yes, Kellogg is in the cereal. Uh, you know, they've been making Raisin Bran, but uh, instead they've... <coughs> now they're just uh, two scoops of douchebag. Uh, <laughs> sorry, that's the best I could come up with. I was thinking about a Fruit Loop one, but it's like, eh, is that homophobic? I don't know. Probably not, but it doesn't come off great. Yeah, I'm not even sure what the heck the Spectrum Strike is. It's a, yeah, it's a union strong asking for... I'm just reading the internet to you right now. Longo Strike, can you... Yep. Uh, yeah, all this, uh, New York Switch have built their own internet service provider? What? I don't know what this is. Uh, you know what? I'm not going to stop pretending I know and just move on. Uh, maybe Chris will cut out the dead air. Maybe he won't. It's up to him at this point. He is down sick and down with the sickness. He may not edit anything and he might just upload it as is because he feels like crap. And I do hope he feels better. Back to Emily's list. What else we got? We got the Kellogg's workers. We got Alabama miners, a thousand of them. Uh, these are the people who dig for coal, not the people that will be kicked out of bars. Uh, we've got 700 Massachusetts nurses at St. Vincent's hospitals. Yeah, I can't imagine why healthcare workers are on strike right now. <laughs> Could almost be like there's a pandemic that not enough people are taken seriously. Hmm. Hmm. I mean, Japan overtook the United States in total vaccinations. And they did this by mostly going after old people at pachinko parlors and just injecting them while they gambled. It's it's kind of sad, really. Good for Japan, though. I hope to visit in 2022 again. Uh, where were, Yeah, that was the nurses. We got the 450 West Virginia steel workers. You know, you need your steel, people. Uh, 420 Kentucky whiskey workers. It feels like 420 for whiskey. It sounds like a wire got crossed on that number, but all right. Uh, 350 Denver janitors. There's actually a viral um, video of a janitor getting lectured by a school principal recently for leaving work eight minutes early. And uh, that was like, okay, he's not one of the students. You can't treat him like that. So that didn't go over well for that principal. I don't know that that's related, but just thinking about striking janitors, that clicked a memory there. Uh, the 300 Los Angeles Aerospace Manufacturers, uh, yeah, that's probably gonna be a rough one. 200 Reno Bus Drivers, I can't imagine why bus drivers are having a hard time right now in this ongoing pandemic. Yeah, it's still not over. Uh, 150 nonprofit employees for the Sunrise Northeast, uh, Incorporated in Connecticut. I'm not familiar, even though Emily and I specifically talked about them before the podcast. Uh, 100 Pennsylvania Teachers, again, people dealing with a lot that, uh, you know, Looks like a lot of people are doing a lot. 75 San Antonio Symphony Musicians. That's an interesting one. I, You know, I'm not going to avoid clip comments there because I'm sure I'm going to be woefully ignorant to what's going on with them. Uh, six, over 60 Chicago Tortilla Factory workers. Uh, oof. They had people die there in 2020. That's not good. Uh, and then 50 West Virginia Machinists. That's a heck of a lot of people. I'm going to check and see if there's anything else on this list. Uh, nope, nothing else is coming to mind. I think I plugged this last episode, but there's a subreddit called Anti-Work, and uh, it's been getting a lot of traction lately because people are really kind of getting sick of just working for, you know, 10-plus hours during the air quote labor shortage, ignoring all the reasons why there would be a labor shortage, and just saying, like, nobody wants to work. It's like, ah, there's no incentive to work. You know, work is not its own reward anymore, as much as people would probably prefer it to be. So that's a thing. But yeah, no, it's striketober. Everybody's striking, and uh, hopefully we see more people offering quite a bit of money. I've commented on this before, but like the local McDonald's are offering immediate health care benefits and a wage starting at seventeen fifty an hour with a minimum wage right now in BC, I think it's like fifteen twenty five. Minimum wage really isn't cutting it anymore, and it especially makes sense in Kelowna, which is officially one of the most expensive municipalities in all of Canada. I want to say number four, and it's essentially only beat out by Vancouver and uh, Toronto, possibly Ottawa as well, and that's just off the top of my head. This is the problem with being one person. I can't stop the podcast to Google stuff and let somebody else fill air, which, you know, is something Chris and Emily are very good at, and of course, everybody else in general. You know, it's a good crew of people to... uh, 
keep talking while somebody else researches, and now I'm sitting here, sitting here by myself, talking into the void. Uh, but you won't leave me, will you, Dan? Hopefully there's somebody named Dan listening right now, because that is just a name I pulled out of nowhere. Anyway, let's talk about something else that is not wrestling, because I've promised myself to make at least half this episode not wrestling-related. Uh, we'll see how that goes, because, of course, there's actually some wrestling stuff I did want to talk about this week. Uh, of course. Uh, but first, let's talk about Extra Life. I want to get into this before I go too deep down the rabbit hole of everything else. So, November 6th is game day. Uh, Car Bomb will be starting at 8 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. Uh, we're going to be raising money for BC Children's Hospital. Uh, I unfortunately did not write down the your the quick link URL that Chris told me last week. I think it was cbextralife.live. Uh, that slash ca. No, hang on. cbextralife. Uh, extra life. Sorry, cbextralife.live slash donate. Okay, I got it. Haha, it was in my Google. So we're going to go through a bunch of games. I'm actually going to run down the games real quick a bit here. Um, so we're going to be doing... Hang on. Yes. So the current plan is to start with a GTA Online Deadline, uh, where people are going to play that uh, Tron Firebike-inspired game that's in Grand Theft Auto Online. Uh, if you don't understand what any of that meant, uh, good for you. <laughs> And then the like the actual air quote start of the day is going to be power washing simulator because everything's got to get clean. And after that, it's going to be time for a little bit of ultimate chicken horse, also known as ultimate chicky do. And then from 11 a.m., I'm going to host a game of Mario Golf Super Rush. I may or may not be in character for. After that, we've got a rousing game of Jacob's Ladder. Uh, for those who don't remember, last year was Jacob's Ladder. We wore those ridiculous rhino outfits. That was a lot of fun, actually. I'm looking forward to that. And then after Jigs Ladder will be our first incentive catch-up hour, where we're going to go through all our incentives. That'll include dice rolls. That'll include any targets we've reached. Um, that's actually further down the list, so I'll read some of the targets later. But I will mention personal lists included. Um, if I get 500, Chris and I are going to do December to Disheveler, where we're going to grow out our beards throughout all of December. Some grooming is allowed. We're allowed to shave under our chin a bit to kind of avoid actual neck beard, but uh, otherwise it's pretty much going to be as is. It's going to be interesting to see how gray mine is, because my facial hair has naturally been colorless in some patches, and then in other patches has been very red. So I'm going to look real weird, man. And then after that, I do have a blended fast food meal. I didn't say, like, kids meal or anything, so we could add modifiers. I'm kind of wondering if we, if we end up doing that, if we want to do, like, milkshake with soda... And then add something like uh, onion rings, or I don't know. We'll figure it out. It'll be fun. I, I'm sure if I trust Jacob or someone else to go get it, they won't disappoint me. <laughs> and then for $1,000, uh, once again, I am going to try to do the polar dip if I reach $1,000. I'm not going to do it if I don't, because I don't want to do it anyway, just in case anyone cares about that. <laughs> we'll see. Uh, but anyway, after the incentive catch-up hour... We're going to do our retro hour, because we always do that, and hopefully we'll have our buddy Joe Mann show up. Uh, I don't know if this has ever come up before, but Joe and I actually went to high school together, so I'm sure we both feel old when we recall that. Uh, three to four is actually when we cut over to our friend Matt Spore and his wife Mel down over in the Maritimes, where they're going to do another power hour. I'm not sure what they're doing this year. They mentioned it to me at least once, and I'm now blanking. Uh... When in doubt, I'm going to assume Matt is going to talk about what the aerial is. After that, we we got a special time where we do our Extra Life camp out. We're going to be outside, and uh, that'll probably be uncomfortable. We'll see what happens. <laughs> it is going to be November, although it's been a decently warm October during the day. I've been not uncomfortable while walking outside in just a shirt. I needed pants on. It's definitely not shorts weather anymore, but uh, that's the weather update. Yeah, yeah, we're, uh, what, 15 minutes in and I'm doing a weather update? Eh, 14.30, close enough. <laughs> and that's assuming how much uh, gets cut out in the beginning. Chris might be an absolute dick and just leave it all in. Nah, nah, he won't be out of dickishness. It'll be out of being tired and sick, and I understand. Uh, but from after the camp out, we're going to do our rock band, you know, the annual tradition. There'll be some freestyling. There'll be a special guest band, which 
I will say is a duo, but that'll be about it. We have another incentive catch-up hour, and after that, Drunk Garfield Cart. Yes. Who is the king of the lasagna? We're finally about to find out. Uh, We've also got a Dungeons & Dragons uh, two-hour epic thing. Uh, Hang on. I want to shout out the people. Right. Sweetnam's Knickknacks are going to be running that. Um... They were around last year for a bit, and they're gonna they're gonna actually just run a D and D session for us from nine to ten. Uh, okay, I don't know how to pronounce his name, and it's written here. Y- Josiah, Josiah. Sorry, man. I genuinely I don't think I've heard your name pronounced out loud in the last six plus months, and if I have, it went right over me. So I do apologize, but good for you for participating. Thank you. Uh, and then at eleven p.m., we're gonna play some Jump Force. Yeah, because this year is um, anime-inspired and, you know, all things Japanese. So we got to get some Jump Force in there because, you know, what is he said, Okaiba, fight Goku. After that, we get our slumber party. We're going to play another dating sim. We'll have another incentive catch-up hour, and then we'll have the classic Too Spooky, uh, where we're going to play some Resident Evil 8. And plus, we're going to look for ghosts. I actually have no idea what that means. So we're going to play uh, Digimon the board game at some point, too. And just looking at this game had way too many pieces for a game that was clearly marketed to children. So I'm quite troubled about the existence of this game in general. And hopefully then from 4 to 6, we'll play the new Mario Party, which is coming out on November 29th. So for some reason, we don't get a copy of Blame Scalpers. I always do. And then as we get to near the end, we're going to do another incentive catch-up hour, and then finally we're going to do some Just Dance, our super mega happy adventure active hour, super extreme turbo, birth by sleep. There's also two colons in there, uh, which I assume means two people have sex in the butt. Not that there's anything wrong with that. I really, this is the sad part. I don't even know if people are laughing at this, and I'm kind of making myself laugh. You know, well... When you're all by yourself, laugh like nobody's watching. I think that's how that saying goes. <clears throat> so the incentives. For $1,000, we do a round of car bombs. I'm pretty sure we've already broken that because while our tracker is in U.S. dollars, we do it in Canadian. Uh, after that, we have the Puzzle Master, which is, I believe, the giant puzzle we have to slowly assemble over the course of the of the thing. Uh, 3000 we do Wasabi Wakas which is the continuing uh, poetry alliteration challenge. In this case, we're going to eat some wasabi while doing Japanese wakas, which is something I literally discovered like three or four weeks ago. Uh, 4,000 is the waifu debate, which also will include husbandos, I believe. We have, like, it's going to be like photo and character names, and then that's all people have to go on, and they have to explain why the person they drew is their best waifu or husbando. So it'll be really fun if people get characters they're not familiar with. Although, like, I personally would probably get somebody I didn't know about and just project somebody else, some other character's stuff onto them. That would be fun. We'll see what happens. I may have given away my strategy. Uh, 5,000 is Actors Workshop 3, where we read a bunch of scripts. I am looking forward to it because I personally have transcribed a couple of anime scenes for this. Uh, 6,000 is where we play Perfection Livewire. What that means is we're going to play the game Perfection, but we're going to be electrified, hence the Livewire. That'll be fun. Uh, 7,000, we bring back Godzilla, and he takes on King Kong. 8,000, we're going to do some calligraphy. Uh, I actually did calligraphy when I was in Japan. I was told my writing was quite, air quote, cute. <laughs> so in this case, I'm going to be doing it, and or we're all going to be doing it. We're going to try to write some uh, proper... Like, it's basically going to be an art attack type thing, but in this case, we're going to try to recreate kanji. And I hope people actually make an effort, because I think it's funnier. That way, because if I think you just intentionally screw up calligraphy, that's... Eh. We'll see what happens. Uh, 9,000 is the lightning round, where I think we go through basically every dice roll at once. I believe that's how that goes. 10,000 is the onsen episode. For those who are unfamiliar, onsen basically means hot spring. Yeah! But you can't wait to find out what that means. <clears throat> dice rolls this year. Uh, if you roll a 1 on the D20... And by the way, there's a dice roll for every $20 Canadian donated... So if you roll a one, uh, the person who rolls that one has to do a shot. If it's two, they have to shotgun a drink. Three, uh, gotta catch them all. I forget what the heck that is. Four is slap chop, where I believe you choose someone to slap you or chop you. 
Personally, I always thought the chop was more of a tribute to Ric Flair, but I suppose judo chop works just as well. And, of course, judo tops aren't really a thing. <clears throat> Five is the active minute, which, of course, last year I ended up doing squats for three-plus minutes because Jesse forgot to time me. Still not bitter. Six is spam jam. I forget what the heck spam jam is. Uh, uh, seven, lucky number seven. I think you designate someone else to do the dice roll for you. Eight is when we break stuff. Nine is over 9,000. I believe that's where we have to do our best Saiyan power-up yell. <clears throat> Ten is double-double, which is, I believe, two shots. Eleven is techno-karaoke. I think we have to do karaoke to techno songs. Uh, Twelve is the chopstick challenge, where we have to try to eat the uh, something with the chopsticks. Uh, Thirteen is unlucky thirteen. You have to do two dice rolls. That's always been a confusing one, but whatever. Uh, four is the fourteen is the purple pants curse, where we have to put on the purple pants. Uh, those famous purple pants just about like five years ago, which honestly I don't think are that bad. It's just kind of gross that everyone else has worn them. So I'm kind of glad I'll have a layer of protection. Uh, fifteen is the BTS meal. <laughs> Jesse, of course, collected a bunch of that uh, signature BTS sauce when McDonald's had the BTS meal. And uh, we're going to combine it with whatever the heck we feel like, more or less. I'm sure it'll be like, you have to eat something gross. I can't remember how we decide that. 16, you get shocked by a shock collar thing. That's shocking. Da -da -da. Uh, 17, we get hair dye to give ourselves anime hair. 18 is a Japanese, or well, yeah, I think it's Japanese food, primarily a taste test. We're going to try to find some exotic Japanese foods and things like that and just have people... Try them out. Uh, I've had a few. Hey, don't eat Japanese cheese. It tastes like fart. Not ass. Fart. Uh, 19 is pick a punishment, so we'll get to pick our own fate. And 20 is the super shot. Uh, I just hope it doesn't taste like burnt plastic this time. So that's all coming back up on November 6th. Please uh, subscribe to us and uh, consider donating. That's cbextralife.live slash donate. Uh, maybe Chris will put it in the title of the episode, or in the description of the episode. Yes, he did for last week. Good man. I probably should have looked at that when I was trying to remember the thing. I'd love how I thought to look at that now. That's right, Chris. I only thought to look at that now. Stream of consciousness, buddy. <clears throat> so from there, I wanted to move on to a small, short, general interest story. Hey, did you know salmon could get really fucking big? So in the town of Chinook, uh, a well, sorry, not the town of Chinook. This is... Where the heck was this? It's a Chinook salmon. I'm sorry. Uh, this is in the Wannock River, which I think is in Cranbrook? Uh, it just says BC. You know what? I don't actually know where the heck this is. Uh, it just says... Yeah, it's the Wannock River. Cool. Uh, so in the Wannock River... Oh, no, this is near Bella Bella. There you go. Now I finally find it. <laughs> So, in the Wannock River outside Bella Bella, they found a salmon uh, who was so much, I know they said created, bred, uh, produced, he, he came out as a result of a hatchery program, but they had a salmon, you know how the old saying is, I once caught a fish this big, and then the person stretches their arms out wide, and that indicates how big the fish is? Yeah, they got a salmon about that big, which is insane. I cannot believe a salmon can get that big. I mean, it's like... I know there's giant tuna that weigh, like, 600-plus pounds, and, like, that's why there's, like, the premium tuna in Japan. But, like, man, I didn't realize salmon could also get that freaking big. I'm used to salmon being, oh, maybe 24 inches at most. This is, like, oh, man, that's most of the height of a person. That's at least 48 inches and thick. Like, <clears throat> we're talking nice, nice ass thick. Oof, that's a big salmon. There you go. There's my salmon interest story. Um, so we'll talk about that. Before I get to wrestling, I do have one more thing I want to talk about. How long have I been going? This is the second time I've checked the time. Ooh, almost 25 minutes. Nice job. So I am going to talk about No Time to Die, which is the 25th James Bond movie. Uh, official one, anyway. There's a bunch of non-official ones. Off the top of my head, the 1967 Casino Royale was not official, although you do find it in some collections. And if you didn't know, there's a 1967 uh, Casino Royale. Uh, for the most part, don't bother. It's pretty dire. They made it as a comedy, and then production hell ensued. It, the whole thing's a mess. 
Although it does have a few jokes I genuinely really like. So I honestly, I almost never rank it as the worst Bond film, even if I include it on the list. <clears throat> but there's also uh, Never Say Never Again, which was the 1983 Sean Connery movie. Sean Connery, of course, retired from the role in 1971. So he came back 12 years later and only about six years before he was playing Harrison Ford's dad and uh, Indiana Jones of the Last Crusade. Yeah, it's um, it's not good. Although I love the fact that they cast Rowan Atkinson in an early film role as like Bond's useless associate named Nigel Smallfawcett. And of course, the rather infamous uh, one from an episode of Mystery Science Theater 3000, Operation 007, which featured Sean Connery's brother, I think his name was Neil Connery, uh, who is just not charismatic at all. Still a good-looking dude, but it's like, oh, we found this wood. We carved it to the shape of Sean Connery. What do you say we make it star in a film? It wasn't a good plan. <clears throat> anyway, so No Time to Die, also known as Hideo Kojima got a, a hold of the script, is uh, it's a very interesting way to end the Daniel Craig era. Daniel Craig, of course, came in with a bit of controversy. First of all, he was blonde. And, you know, that's... Uh, he, you know, I kind of understand what people are coming from since I'm very much in the mindset of Lois Lane should never be anything but brunette or black-haired, which I think is still technically a brunette. <laughs> and here, here are saying James Bond shouldn't have anything but darker hair. I mean, Roger Moore's hair wasn't that dark, but I digress. So we got him coming and doing that, and then he's trying to play the grittier James Bond in the mid-2000s, where people were like, yeah, grittier James Bond. And so he comes in, and he has to be basically the anti-Austin Powers, because anti-Austin Powers made doing wacky Bond stuff pretty hard to do, which is hilarious. I mean, but I love Casino Royale. Um, still probably my favorite Daniel Craig movie. No, yeah, 100% still. And that was pretty good. And then we got Quantum of Solace, which is one of the worst canonical Bond films, pretty much all of all of them. I genuinely think I consider it worse than Die Another Day, which is definitely still bad. I mean, if I had to rank the worst canon films, bottom three, uh, worst is probably Octopussy, then, then Quantum of Solace, then Die Another Day. So Die Another Day is still in the bottom three. I think I only rank it higher because I have nostalgia for it, because I saw it. I saw that at the theater with somebody who would later pass away a few years later, and that, you know, so happy memories of person now gone, plus, you know, it was one of the first times I saw Bond movie in theaters with a lot of people. That was kind of a nice experience as well. It was, and I've kind of got an affection for a scene in that movie where they perfectly describe the character of James Bond, which is crazy. Like, we get this perfect summation of his character in one of the worst movies in the franchise. What you gonna do? Anyway, so, yeah, Quantum of Solace was crap. Uh, Skyfall is pretty good. Probably my second favorite uh, of the Craig era. Specter's gotta be yeah, second worst, honestly. Because um, that one just drags. It's a little meandering. It's a little annoying because it's got some really cool stuff going on in there. It's got a really cool opening sequence. And it's probably the funniest Daniel Craig is in the classic Bond style. Because he's funny in Casino Royale, but he's more of a dick. And, like, just a flat-out kind of an asshole. I mean, he does it to people who mostly have it coming, but it's, like, I don't know. It's it's not charming. It's, like, kind of evil, but hilarious still. And, and like, meanwhile, in uh, Spectre, he, he feels more like almost, you know, the, he, he could fit right in with uh, Roger Moore, which is a little unfortunate because that movie had the, the big twist be that the villain is James Bond's long-lost brother, which... Uh, Hey, remember Austin Powers? Yeah, remember the twist in the third movie? <laughs> it's so dumb. Anyway, <laughs> so now we get No Time to Die, which, as I hinted at, was a Hideo Kojima production. Uh, and you want to, if you want to know why, well, the the main villain weapon of this movie is the Fox Die virus, nano machines, son. Yeah, <laughs> James Bond has to battle nano machines which are programmed to kill people based on their DNA and being touched by people infected with the with the nanomachines. Uh, they call it Hercules, by the way, just to make it extra confusing, because when I think of a plague, I think of a really strong guy. Yeah. 
I mean, I mean, like, this is just a fundamental annoyance with the film for me. I don't think it actually ruins it. Like, what ruins it is it's too long. It's probably the most joyless film outside of Quantum of Solace. And, like, I don't know, just some of the actions don't make, like, the villain, Safin, or Safin, what the heck was his name? It, like, he, essentially, his name is Lucifer Satan. That's, like, it's, it's something else, but it, essentially, they've got Rami Malek playing Lucifer Satan, and he's kind of a nothing villain. Like, he's got a pretty solid bioweapon, but it's like he's doing an elaborate revenge scheme that's also a weapons test. Okay, I, I don't know. It It's still a better plan. The, the presentation of the villain plan is better in this movie than it was in Spectre. And in general, I think it's better than Spectre, even though it's longer. But I still think it's not as good as Skyfall or uh, Casino Royale was. Which is a shame, because also, once again, Daniel Craig doing really good work. Um, uh, Leah Sedu returning as Madeline Swan. She's still pretty good. All the supporting cast are still great. Uh, I particular love uh, <laughs> freaking um, Ralph Fiennes as M again. He has a pretty good line. He gets to say another F-bomb. Yay! But, uh, and it's also kind of annoying because Anna de Alma from uh, Knives Out and Blade Runner 249 is in this. And she's really good in this. But she's basically in three scenes. Which is a shame because they hyped the heck out of her and then like they they kind of played her up more in some trailers than Nomi, who plays the new 007, who's a uh, female, who's a female of course as well, because it's like James Bond gets replaced by an by a woman of African descent. It's like you know what's the ultimate counter to Bond? So it's kind of, uh, just in terms of physical presentation, but like she's good, but she also doesn't get a lot to do. It's a little disappointing. Like, she gets more to do than uh, freaking Anna almost did. But it's like, ah, oh, man, these are just kind of superfluous characters, which is a little disappointing. Uh, no, it, but yeah, I'd still say it's worth a watch, and it's entertaining, but it's also not like... I don't think it's going to be in my top ten Bond films, because I'm going to be sitting there and like, all right, I want to have some fun. I want to watch a James Bond film. You know, the action-adventure hero. Hey, I want to watch this really sad one about bioterrorism using nanomachines. Like, it doesn't even have the camp level of charm that Metal Gear Solid does, where they have the dramatic, oh, they talk about nuclear war and biotech and all that stuff. Uh, it's just not the same. But, you know, still, still a fun watch. It's just, well, I say fun. Uh, I, I enjoyed that I went to go see it in a theater, even though theaters are still kind of tense, even with the, thankfully, screening and everything with the vaccine passports. Anyway, let's talk about something that's never been controversial. Pro wrestling. <laughs> yes, it's that time. I'm going to lead in with something kind of fun, actually. I'm going to talk about the Thunderdome. Now, eagle-eared listeners may recall that back when WWE first started doing this, I talked about the Thunderdome. So, the WWE Thunderdome was when they had no crowds. What they'd do is they set up TV, TV monitors all around the ring. And people would essentially all be zoomed in to act as a digital crowd. Now, they couldn't actually make any noise. All the noise was pre-designed and piped in, which was really annoying because it had like this very blatantly artificial flavor to it. Because it was artificial. They were telling us who to boo and who to cheer. And, you know, they had full full control of their audience. That was kind of lame. But that was their Thunderdome. It was a bunch of TV screens watching a ring. And very much not in almost any way a Thunderdome. So it turns out in 1989, at Halloween Havoc, WCW had their own Thunderdome. This Thunderdome match pitted Sting and Ric Flair against, um, it was, oh my god, Terry Funk. Who the heck was his tag team partner? Oh, uh, Masahiro Chono. Or, not Masahiro Chono, wow. The Great Muda, uh, Keiji Muto one of the legendary wrestlers from Japan who did a lot of appearances for WCW, actually. So him and Terry Funk against Ric Flair and Sting in a cage match where supposedly the ring was electrified. That's their Thunderdome. Uh, Spoiler, the ring is in no way electrified. Also, despite featuring deathmatch legend frickin' Terry Funk and Ric Flair, whose bleach blonde hair makes it perfect so you can see just how bloody he is every time he bleeds... Neither of them bleed during this match. 
it's like a 20 minute cage match and which is only supposed to stop if their like team manager throws in the towel and it's one of the least bloody least electrifying least thunderdome things you ever did see that's just kind of disappointing isn't it wrestling they need to do another thunderdome and they need to make it cool i don't know how they could do it but i'm sure somebody'll come up with something Speaking of which, uh, good time to shout out uh, Dark Side of the Ring, which is a very dark but interesting look at uh, professional wrestling. And there's some very interesting stuff, including about uh, deathmatch wrestling in Japan from the 90s. So I do recommend that show. So let's talk about something a little more uh, disappointing. Hey, WWE is going back to Saudi Arabia. They'll have actually done their show, Crown Jewel, in Riyadh in Saudi Arabia by the time this episode's come out, because they're doing it uh, Thursday, so tomorrow, from my perspective. And to their credit, they have managed to include two women's matches. Now, the first time they went to Saudi Arabia, women were not allowed to compete, and in fact, WWE got in trouble for airing an advertisement featuring some of their women, because that was considered against their values. <laughs> and then, um, I want to say it was the second last show they did in Saudi Arabia, before COVID hit, they actually had two women have a match. It had, like, no stakes behind it. It was just, like, the first women's match in Saudi Arabia. Uh, but they, they kind of made progress there. And then COVID happened. Sorry, pancakes. And then um, <clears throat> now they're they're doing a show today, tomorrow, yesterday. Time has no meaning. <laughs> and they've got a pretty good card, but it's kind of annoying that this card's going to the people of Saudi Arabia who half the time don't seem to pay attention to, to the matches, which is kind of disappointing, because, like, they paid, like, $10 million to have this show put on. And then there's like, yeah, whatever. Uh, I don't know, it's just... It very much feels like corporate exploitation. But I will go through the card real quick. I want to just underline how crazy this card is. So, uh, they've got local boy Mansoor. Yeah, he's a uh, Saudi Arabian wrestler. He's actually pretty good, but I mean, one of the, I hate to say it, one of the reasons he's being pushed so hard is because they're doing a show in Saudi Arabia. So he's going to get the hometown pop, and he's taking on Mustafa Ali, uh, who is a um, Muslim uh, American wrestler who actually used to be a cop, and he was considered one of the good ones, which is why he's no longer a cop. Yeah, and he's playing the bad guy in this storyline, which is also unfortunate. Uh, Edge, yep, unretired. Uh, he's, uh, his surgery has been doing, uh, he's recovered well from, uh, the surgery there. He's going to be wrestling Seth Rollins, and the feud seems to be whether or not Seth Rollins is just a pathetic, weaker version of Edge. Cool. And they're going to do Hell in a Cell, so that'll be fun. Uh, <laughs> we've got the King of the Ring tournament. The finals are taking place at Crown Jewel, which at least name-wise makes sense. Uh, King of the Ring, the finalists are Finn Balor. Uh, the Demon Prince, who is potentially going to be the Demon King if he wins, so you know they're going to love that. By the way, Finn Balor, uh, doing, he frequently sneaks in photos of himself wearing anti-hate, including LGBTQ plus shirts, while in Saudi Arabia. So, like, oh man, mad lad. Good for him, though. Uh, and his opponent is Xavier Woods, uh, known as that wrestler that you've probably seen show up in a lot of D&D and video game stuff lately. <laughs> Xavier Woods of the New Day. Uh, yeah, he's going to be going in. He very much campaigned for another King of the Ring tournament because he really wants to win one. And so now it looks like, you know, for kind of flying the company flag in that regard and wanting a King of the Ring, he he made it to the finals. So that's good. I kind of hope he wins, but Finn also winning and becoming the Demon King, you know, canonically. And that's not terrible either. So there's some good storytelling there. For the opposite of good storytelling, the Queen's Crown. So the Queen's Crown is the first ever female equivalent of King of the Ring. Why they couldn't just call it Queen of the Ring, nobody knows. And it featured a lot of rather untalented but still capable wrestlers wrestling two-minute matches to advance in the tournament. Uh, the average match length for the men was ten minutes. Yeah. I mean, honestly, because there was, uh, you know, there's the quarterfinals. The quarterfinals each went about two minutes. The semifinals each went about two minutes. That's, what, 12 minutes? And then the final went about two minutes. So that's less than two men's matches. It's real bad, I'm just saying. But hey, two women fighting in Saudi Arabia, and it's going to be Zelina Vega, uh, who was notably fired uh, because she didn't want to give up her Twitch account, or her OnlyFans, I should say. And then... <laughs> 
She got rehired, went on a losing streak, wasn't featured on a 9-11 show despite her father being killed in 9-11. Look, I'm glad she's still got a job, but I just hate how much she's being mistreated. Uh, but hey, she's at the she's in the finals of this tournament. Unfortunately, it's considered something of a joke. And her opponent is Dewdrop. Haven't talked about Dewdrop before. I think she's a, a larger Scottish woman whose real whose ring name was Piper Ni- Piper Niven, also known as Viper. And yeah, they thought it'd be funny to call her Dewdrop. Fuck you. Anyway, she's she basically Forrest Gumped her way into the finals. So, you know, this is the really flattering thing. It's like, oh, a person they constantly neglect versus a person they treat as a joke. Queen's crown! But they're in Saudi Arabia, so we'll see how this goes. Also on this card, Goldberg, a.k.a. Captain Yesterday. Yeah, he's still alive. And he has promised to murder Bobby Lashley. I'm not even joking. He said the phrase killed like at least 16 times since this feud began. Thankfully, they're in a no-holds-barred match. And uh, Bobby Lashley also, for those who aren't aware, does a really good spear, which is one of Goldberg's signature moves. So it'll be really interesting to see them spear each other repeatedly. Uh, Last time Goldberg was in Saudi Arabia, he also had one of the worst matches of his career. I think I've said that more than once about him, too, so... eh. Also on the card, we have RK Bro, the team of Randy Orton and Matt Riddle. Matt Riddle, notable for given the choice between fighting in UFC and smoking weed, chose the weed. They'll be taking on AJ Styles, one of the best wrestlers in the world today, and Omos, who is a giant man. That's about it about Omos. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and they're fighting for the tag team championship there. Uh, we've got Becky Lynch back from maternity leave, taking on Sasha Banks and Bianca Belair. That's right, a women's triple threat match. Yeah, two women's matches. I fully expected them to walk out wearing baggy t-shirts and pants to make sure nothing too much is exposed. Hopefully that isn't the case. We'll see what happens. Progress? Uh, maybe. We'll see. Finally on the card, we have both the WWE Championship and the WWE Universal Championship both being defended. Uh, Big E of the New Day is actually the current WWE champion, and he's going to be taking on Drew McIntyre, the Scotsman who has, in recent weeks, been constantly threatening people with a real sword. And in wrestling, if you constantly threaten to do something and then don't eventually do it, what's the point of that storyline? But obviously you can't actually have somebody him murder someone with a real sword, so, I mean, this was kind of a bad idea to begin with. Actually, important uh, tip for anyone who ever wants to play the heel, important thing to remember about the heel the payoff is eventually someone does kick your ass. Think about that next time you play healing comedy. Otherwise, it just may not be satisfying. And for the Universal Championship, uh, Brock Lesnar is challenging Roman Reigns. This is this has been a WrestleMania main event twice now and has been a destroyed rivalry go- going back years. And yeah, they're now doing it in Saudi Arabia. <laughs> so it's going to be real interesting to see how that goes. So yeah, I just ran down the card for a show I actually don't particularly care about, but I just want to underline what $10 million gets you when it comes to hiring WWE. So finally, uh, because I know this episode is going to be a bit short, because I'm only at about 43 minutes, I've got a longer wrestling thing to talk about. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> going into uh, more wrestling. So if you guys are uh, sick of this, uh, go ahead and stop now, but please don't, because we need the... I don't think we get money for this. Listening... Uh, call, call the hotline. 1-800-CABWAZZLE, I think it is. Hmm. Anyway, I want to talk about something that normally I would probably get a thousand questions about, but I can talk about because it's just me. We're going to talk about the G1 Climax. So the G1 Climax is an annual tradition in New Japan Pro Wrestling. Uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling, probably the premier uh, wrestling company in Japan right now. There's a few others, but uh, I would say they're definitely the premier one. they got to be worth the most money. Now, what the G1 Climax is, is a month-long tournament where two blocks of ten wrestlers go through fighting each other. So, in other words, in about a month, you've had nine heavy-duty matches against other dudes. And each block is scored by points. You get two points for a win, one point for a draw, zero points for a loss. And the person who has the most points at the end of the block goes on to take on the winner of the other block in the final. And the winner of that gets to get a main event title shot at the Tokyo Dome at Wrestle Kingdom, which is their big January show. It's like the few years after, few days after New Year's, uh, and it's 
you know, it's basically their WrestleMania, uh, for lack of a better equivalent. And like I said, it includes a lot of dudes. And this year they had uh, 20 competitors as always, so two blocks of 10. But some interesting stuff happened. I'm just going to run down the card here. The final of this is actually going to be airing Tuesday, uh, for me Thursday morning about 2 a.m., so I'm not going to be staying up for that. But let me go through the competitors. So in the A block, it was won by Kota Ibushi, who has been in three of the of the last uh, G1 Climax finals and has won two of them. This is a guy who was constantly an independent worker until 2019 when he finally signed a contract with New Japan, and they've been rewarding him. He was actually heavyweight champion at the start of the year until he was sidelined by getting the shit kicked out of him by another guy who then got sidelined with injury. New Japan has not had the best year. Uh, the person who didn't quite win the block was Shingo Takagi, the current world heavyweight champion. Shingo Takagi is also known as the Dragon, and yeah, he's pretty much what you would expect. He's like the samurai, the, the old samurai warrior that you would trust to have your back. And by old, I mean he's only thirty-eight, but you know, <laughs> sorry, Chris. But Shingo's pretty awesome. He's had a hell of a year becoming champion after also earlier in the year being um, never champion. Uh, he, he's had a lot of titles. Shingo's really good. I highly recommend watching his matches. Uh, also in the block was Kenta. Kenta is a for, he, he he started with a company called Pro Wrestling Noah, ended up in WWE where he was injury prone, and now he's in New Japan. He's proceeded to not really be injured as far as I can tell and helped um, actually open the air quotes forbidden door, including appearing on AEW programming more than once. He... Yeah, he's a member of a group called the Bullet Club. Now, the Bullet Club actually is a group of, well, they started as foreigners who were like, or aka gaijin, Japanese word for more or less foreigner, who decided to be jackasses after getting screwed, or, you know, perceived to be getting screwed. So they're mostly foreign guys, but then a bunch of Japanese guys who joined them, including Kenta. So that point's kind of lost. They're essentially just the bad guys. Uh, and Shingo actually is a member of Los Ingobernable de Japon, who are Japanese wrestlers who have taken on a Mexican-style, hey man, chill out persona. Their catchphrase is tranquilo. You know, essentially, probably a Japanese way of saying, or Mexican way of saying chill out. That's another common thing, by the way, is um, <clears throat> Japanese wrestlers going to, J- going to Mexico and coming back with a new persona. One of my favorites is in the 90s, a guy went to Mexico and came back as El Samurai. Uh, a masked uh, Japanese wrestler who wrestled in a luchador style. Another wrestler who did very well this year was Zack Sabre Jr., a British wrestler who looks like he's the definition of wiry. He's also a specially specialized in submission holds, so he's like he's like the kind of he's like kind of a traditional wrestler in that way. He's currently one half of their tag team champions actually, and he's a member of a group called Suzuki Gun who are basically, which is named after Minoru Suzuki, who's actually currently in America going through a series of death matches with people because Minoru Suzuki, despite being 53, is one of the scariest and most deadly men I've ever seen. Google Minoru Suzuki. Huh. So Zack Sabre Jr. tore through the house, but sadly did not make it to the end. He did pretty well for himself, though. Like, Kota Ibushi won his block with 14 points out of a possible 18. Shingo Takagi, the champion, only had 13. Kenta and Zack Sabre Jr. both had 12. Uh, with 10 points was Toru Yano. Yano's kind of a controversial figure. Uh, he's a member of the Chaos Group, who started off as implied to be Yakuza, because of course they were. And now they're more or less good guys, but they're still kind of like, I don't know, it's weird. But then Toru Yano hangs out with them, and Toru Yano specializes in cheating. Like, his thing is he'll tear off the turnbuckle pads so you get thrown into them, and without the turnbuckle pads, you're running into a metal bolt, so that hurts. He'll punch in the balls. He'll trick you into being outside the ring and then getting counted out. And he'll also just flat out try to bribe you. Like, these are all things he does. (laughs) Also, he tries to sell you his DVD. I forget what his DVD is. I think it's a cooking show. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, and one of the big jokes right now is he's the king of pro wrestling because he has a trophy that says he's the king of pro wrestling, which he won by punching people in the balls. Yeah. He's actually really good in this tournament because he usually ends up defeating, like, 
capable world champions because they're just not ready for his antics, despite the fact that he does this every year. <sighs> Unfortunately, one of the problems has been he's because of the way the current tournament has been set up where they can only have five matches in a day instead of the usual eight he's actually been getting overexposed by doing like 15-minute comedy matches when his matches should really be 5 to 10 minutes. That's unfortunate. Anyway, uh, another member of Chaos is Tomohiro Ishii, the human pit bull who has no neck, is 45 years old, built like, uh, well, he's basically what you would call a callous bod man, and he is one of the best wrestlers today. Don't at me, bro. Like, if you look up how many match of his matches have been rated, like, five stars or more, it's an insane amount. Him and Shingo, man, uh, they're up there. Uh, another one uh, with a new faction called the United Empire, which are a bunch of guys who work for a British dude who decided, no, I'm going to do anything to become world champion. And one of his early recruits was the great Okan, who is a Japanese wrestler who has taken on the persona of a Chinese hopping vampire. Yeah presumably related also to Genghis Khan somehow. He's all right. He, he's still new, so it's like you're kind of getting used to this ridiculous character. and his, But he, he's fine. He's, he's done some good matches. Uh, also in the block was Tangaloa, one half of the Gorillas of Destiny, two Tongan wrestlers related to... Uh, what was his... What was their... What's their dad's name? Or their, It's not their real dad. He's their uncle. He's just treated like their dad. Um, Haku in WWE, also known as Ming. So Tangaloa, he was in there. Uh, he did pretty good for himself. Uh, he's part of the Bullet Club. Also part of the Bullet Club, Yujiro Takahashi, who is essentially a pimp. Yeah, that's still a thing. <laughs> he basically hangs around with hot women all day, including a woman known as Pietra, who is half Japanese, half Spanish, so she's known as the Tokyo Latina. And basically the whole thing is... Uh, Yujiro comes out with Pieter and, and Pieter's like, check how sexy my ass is. And people usually agree. Then she leaves. And we're sad now. Uh, he didn't do great, as you can imagine, because he's near the bottom of the list. Unfortunately, the person who did the worst was uh, Tetsuya Naito, the leader of Los Ingobernables, who, after a single match against Zack Sabre Jr., got horribly injured. I think he tore his ACL, in fact. And had to withdraw from the tournament. So everyone got two points because he didn't even win his one match, so he got a zero. Uh, it was very unfortunate. They didn't replace him. They just flat out said, okay, everyone gets two points because he can't compete. It is what it is. Uh, so the B block was won by the leader of Chaos, uh, basically the John Cena of Japan right now, Kazuchika Okada, because he's a five-time world heavyweight champion and has one of the longest reigns in history. 720 days he was world champion at one point. He's also known as the Rainmaker and is pretty awesome. Like, in general, I'd say he's a pretty solid wrestler. There's a reason why he's considered so awesome. But it is kind of annoying how often he's been champion now because he's one of those guys like, okay, can we get something different? So we got Shingo, and I'm pretty happy with Shingo. Like, um, Shingo beat Okada to become champion because what happened was uh, Ibushi got beaten by Will Ospreay, then Will Ospreay suffered an injured back and couldn't compete, so the title was vacated. But Shingo had been challenging Ospreay uh, before his injury, and then Okada was set to be the next challenger. So Shingo and Okada ended up facing off for the vacant title, and Shingo won. So that was pretty awesome. But now Okada's won his block. He actually set a record. He got 16 points. Pre the previous record was 15 points, set by another gentleman we'll talk about later in this list. Uh, and he did it. At the last second, because he lost to only one dude this entire tournament. And the guy he had to beat to ensure 16 points also got 16 points. This is Jeff Cobb, a member of the United Empire. Uh, he is a Filipino wrestler of American, or a Filipino American. I believe he's from Guam, if I'm not mistaken. Pretty big dude. Uh, very much, he was an amateur pro wrestler, amateur wrestler before becoming a pro wrestler. And he has just become a beast of a man himself. Like, he was always big, but he was, like, fine as a wrestler back in 2019, and now in 2021, he's, like, one of the best wrestlers in the world. I'm like, what the hell? This guy got really good really fast. And he actually set a record because he won eight matches in a row. Nobody else has done that. Okada still won eight matches, but he didn't win them in a row. He had to beat Cobb in the final of the of the B block to uh, secure his win. Another guy in this block is Evil, who I know I've talked about before because his name is Evil, usually spelled in all capitals, so you have to write it in English characters. 
evil. It used to be Los Ingobernables de, de Japón. Now he's Bullet Club, and he sucks. Because <laughs> he's a big, callous bod man who used to come to the ring dressed like the Grim Reaper with a glow-in-the-dark scythe. And now he just comes out with a stooge and cheats in all his matches after 20 minutes of bullshit. It's very disappointing. Evil kind of sucks right now. He's not great. Who's still great is Hiroshi Tanahashi, uh, also considered one of the John Cena's in New Japan. Uh, he Not so much these days because he's losing a lot. Case in point, he only got eight points out of a possible 18. So he lost a lot this tournament. But he is the current uh, United States champion, despite Gene being Japanese, because, you know, titles aren't racist. And, uh, <laughs> sorry, that made me laugh more than it should have. He also was uh, recently challenging Shingo for his title, too, so that was cool. And, yeah, he's a very good wrestler. He actually had the previous record for 15 points. Another guy who got 8 points is Sanada, who is a member of Los Incobernables, also known as Cold Skull. He's, like, half pirate, half biker. It's weird. And, like, one of the big things right now is he'll put a guy in a submission hold, clearly have it won, but then he decides, no, I need to end this with a moonsault, and when he goes for the moonsault, somebody just beats him up before he finishes it, and then he loses. He's kind of not super compelling right now. It's disappointing. He's also very blonde. He's Japanese, but he's very blonde. It's interesting. I'm assuming it's Dai. Uh, another member of Chaos, Hiroki Goto. He is the samurai dad, not to be confused with Shingo, who's more of the samurai bro, samurai master. Like, Hiroki Goto kind of looks like he would be a dad in a Japanese movie set in the samurai era, only to be killed 20 minutes in, which is a shame because he's a pretty good wrestler. And he's actually currently uh, a member of the, um, like, the trio titles because they have three-man tag teams, and also known as the six-man championship because it's always two teams of three. Yeah, he's, one of the, he's one of the champions along with Ishii and uh, another fella lower down the list here with Chaos. Uh, the other fellow is Yoshihashi, with Chaos, who looks perpetually bored and is mostly there just to lose. And he mostly lost this tournament. All right. Tamatonga, Ta uh, the brother of Tangaloa, and their, uh, or I think they're half-brothers, exactly. Yeah, like I said, the Gorillas of Destiny, parts of the Bullet Club, pretty good tag team. They're very good. They, they had a really good chance to shine this tournament. Uh, Taichi, the Emperor of New Japan, He's an arrogant member of Suzuki Gun and is Zack Sabre Jr.'s somewhat unlikely tag team partner. He's great. He wears ridiculous, like, tuxedo mask-style outfits. Awesome. And Chase Owens, who is the white guy. That's essentially his main characterization he's gotten over the last several years. He's a member of Bullet Club, though, so, you know. But that has been the G1. Uh, so, win or lose, Okada and Ibushi. One of them is going to be made eventing Wrestle Kingdom. Probably Okada, because Ibushi's won three times now, but, you know, or been in the finals three times now, but, and Okada's probably due for another main event, but we'll see what happens. So, hopefully you didn't just glaze over as I talked about this and you listened to the episode. We're at about an hour, uh, but I want to say, hopefully Chris feels better soon, Emily feels better soon, Jesse and Jacob stop working insane hours doing movies, you know, I understand they need to, to work, but... Oof, they've been getting slammed lately. I'll tell you what, I'm just glad they're all working. And hopefully, uh, we'll, we'll keep an eye on our Twitter and our social medias and all that. We'll be doing a live stream this weekend because I'm going to push to do a Jackbox game on Saturday. Uh, time and everything to be determined. Hopefully that happens, though. So I just want to... Oh, and you know what? I actually forgot a bit of news item that I was going to talk about and then didn't. Late breaking news today... Donald Trump has announced his own social media platform. Uh, I believe it was Truth Media or Truth Social, something like that. Let me check out the exact name. Truth Social? Uh, yeah, Truth Social. And Truth is all in caps. So it's not just a cute gimmick. Of course, he is pushing it as the right-wing alternative to left-wing social media hacks. Which, I mean, if you've been on Facebook, you know it's definitely not <laughs> uh, left-wing. Uh, <laughs> or Twitter, for that matter. But the idea is you send out truths, so much like tweets, except they're truths. You know, I'm starting to think in particular we was targeting Twitter. But one of my favorite uh, rules that was listed out of the big list of rules, because he already posted the rules. Like, the whole thing is this is going to be in beta in November, and in the first quarter of 2022 it should launch. But apparently, rule 23 is you're not allowed to make fun of truth media uh, on, on the uh, social media platform. If you do, you can't be banned. So, yeah, 
truth uh, social media is a safe space. Just saying, these are the type of people that would make fun of that, and this is what they made. <sighs> you know, I'm starting to think one of the most, you know, back in the old days, is like, I'm rubber, you're glue, what bounces off me sticks to you. That's actually way more true than I think people realize, because people project so much of what they hate on about themselves on other people. It's crazy. <sighs> Life, man. It, you know, it finds a way. All right, I'm sure Chris is tired of hearing me ramble about myself now, so it's technically over an hour. There may be some editing to shorten this down, but hey, full episode by myself. I proved something? Emily, take us out. Outro. Three, two, one. Lipstick, trash bag, shatterproof glass. Tailpipe tread like recent chrome. Front bumper, universal bearing, aerial brake shoe, shock absorber. And now the post credit where I don't say anything of value.